think hit, hit record. I think that we need to start off with another JD and Paige story. Oh, man. So, yeah. So we're starting off with a JD and Paige story? Yeah, let's hear a good one. What about, like, one before college? One before college? Yeah. Oh, there's pl- most of them are before college. Yo. What about the one, uh, let's, let's hear the, uh, I don't think you guys told the, the candy story. With oh. y'all, you two and and Zylan and Zylan. Oh yeah. Oh Zylan beat me up. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's hear it. Absolutely. Jonathan tells it the best. Literally. No, I, I really don't, but I I will begin the story. So, let's start the context off. Is that I always was the smallest between myself, Paige, and Zylan, and so they would actually call me Skeletor, and I used to hate that because they they were a little bit more plump than me. As you can still tell, they're still a little bit more plump to me. But that's all right. God bless. You're healthy. You're healthy. God has blessed you. Winner's long. Go ahead. <laughs> but anyways, so because of that, I knew my I knew my um my my boundaries and what I should say, what I shouldn't say. When we played football and all that stuff, I knew where to go and where not to go. Cause I understood my size in comparison to them. So Paige is bigger than me. But Zylan is bigger than Paige. And so all the boundaries that I knew not to cross, Paige didn't care about none of them. So Paige made all the fat jokes. Paige made all the any any type of joke you want and not really paying attention to the size difference between him and Zylan and what Zylan could really do. So on this particular summer day, we will oftentimes go to the go to the corner store. And uh, we were getting it, it was. Candy. Yeah, we were getting some candy, and it was those spray candies. Do you remember, like, the little sour, the the little things you can get? And so (coughs) the thing is, like. We both got the same. same, Yeah. yeah, All three of you guys? mm -hmm, We all got the same flavor. Yeah. We were just weird like that. We just was always doing the The same same thing, thing, getting the same thing. So we all got, I remember the flavor. It was like the orange sour one. Yeah. So meanwhile, we walk in. Paige Paige has zero, like, um. uh, what's the word? Self-control? It's all zero, yeah, that's right. Zero <laughs> self-control. He's going all in or he's all out. There's yep. no in-between with him. That's no true. gray area ever with Paige. Yeah. And so Paige, the whole time we walking down the street, Paige just... <laughs> I mean, he tearing his candy up. But Xylan, oddly enough, Xylan likes to preserve his stuff. Xylan is a saver. 100%. And he likes to, like, yeah. really take his time. You know what I mean? Yep. So Zion just has a few sprays, whatever. So by the time we even get home, Paige's candy is empty. And so, you know, we go in the house, we, we chill and all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, um, I just hear Paige just spraying again. I'm like, Paige, I said, didn't you eat all your candy? He's like, mm-hmm. He just spraying his candy. <laughs> right? Zion's like, Paige, that's mine. Why are you my candy? He said, this ain't yours. Paige, uh, Paige was like, this ain't yours. Zion was like, yes, it is. He, and Paige looked at me and said, you know what your problem is, Silent? He said, you just so fat. You just want everything for yourself. You just so fat. And Zion said, what you say to me? He said, you heard what I said. Meanwhile, Paige just spraying the candy. Just making one, just one comment after another to Zylan. And so Zylan gets up and he looks and he says, say it again. And before Paige could even say it again, he, he, Zylan just walked back. Boom! His page in the back of the head, right? So now Paige, Paige was on the couch. He runs to the couch, right? And so now Paige is on the couch like this, right? Guarding himself, right? And so all of a sudden, I just see Zion. Boom! 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, just tearing the back of Paige's head up, right? Yeah. And so Paige's head is literally bouncing off the couch like this. Right? And I remember the one time, like, his arm was stuck in the cushion. He rips it out, and then all of a sudden, I see him go. <laughs> in his mouth. I'm like, Paige, let go of the candy. Just let go of the candy. Like, this kid, bro, hey. he was ridiculous. Hey, man. If I'm going to get beat up over the candy, I'm going to finish the candy. <laughs> That's the only way it's worth it. That's the only way it's worth it. Man. I'm gonna get beat up and not get the candy. Yeah, nah. it ain't, that ain't gonna happen. You said you're gonna finish the I, job. I hand it back to you empty. <laughs> <laughs> he don't care though. He been this way his whole life. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's just one. That's just one. That's hilarious. I forgave him. Good. <laughs> We're friends to this day. <laughs> so stupid. Oh man. Podcast. I am Luke Sasser, sitting here with Pastor JD and Paige Williams. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So we're going to be going through, uh, continue to go through the book of Acts. Um, we're actually going to be off ramping on Sunday mornings from Acts, and we're actually going to go into our new series that we're calling the House Series. Um, and our house series is the acronym for honor, order, unity, service, and engagement. And it's really emphasizing um, the house rules structure on how we as a church want to pretty much op- operate as a church. So as we are merging off from Acts on Sunday mornings, we're going to use this space, the podcast, to just kind of go through the rest of the book of Acts. So if you want to follow us, and continue to follow us, listen to the podcast, and uh, get connected that way. Uh, this previous Sunday, we went through Acts chapter 13, um, and it was all about, uh, what was it about? You Were you guys paying attention yesterday? Oof. Put me on <laughs> <No>? the spot. <laughs> How uh, about you, Paige? Were you paying attention yesterday? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what were you talking about? What was he talking about? Yesterday, he said, he said, do you... Remember, he said, when, he said, do you remember when Paul said to Bar Jesus that he was going to be blind for a time? He said he was giving him grace because he did the same thing. He was blind for how many days? The crowd said three. He said three days. He said, so Paul knew how that could change you. So he gave him grace for a time. Because he was saying, you know what? Maybe you need to shut up for a little bit. And so Paul gave him grace through being blind so that he could preserve his life. Amen. Amen. Glory. That was so good. Thank I don't you. Think, you know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. I believe that. <laughs> But no, uh, yeah, so coming out of (laughs) Acts chapter 13, um, uh, we're going into Acts chapter 14, 
where Paul and Barnabas are now going to a place called Poseidon or Pisidian. I don't really know how to say the first name of Antioch. Um, and uh, is that even right? Oh, we're not going to Alpha chapter 3. I'm sorry. We're not going to Acts chapter 14. We're staying in Acts 13. Sorry. No, that's, that's, that's the same place, though. They're going to the same place. Yeah, we're Acts chapter 13, starting yeah. at verse 13. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just referenced the wrong chapter. We're not going to Acts chapter 14. Um, so good. We're going to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Um, and just to try to give a, do a little paraphrase here. Um, so in Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 13, it's Paul and Barnabas going to the place called Pisidian Antioch. And what they do is they go to a synagogue that's there, and essentially they share the gospel of who Jesus is, and they talk about Abraham, and they talk about Abraham to David, and then how Jesus was the son of David, and he uses different references um, and psalms of how Jesus was connected to David, and uh, pretty much lifting, lifting up the name of Jesus in the synagogue uh, for people who at that time are Jews, are people who were devout um, men to Judaism, um, they were still looking for the Messiah, but Paul is now speaking about that the Messiah has already come, and it was in, and it was in Jesus. And it says that people saw that they were so f- filled with the Spirit and so filled with grace um, that they just started following them and wanted them to continue to speak. And so they were speaking on the Sabbath day, and then it's like, will you please come back and speak on the next Sabbath? And so it says that after they shared the gospel and they shared it on that Sabbath, there's like, come back next week. And then they came back the following week. And it says like the whole city came to listen to them speak and they were inspired. But it says that the men who were devout in Judaism, they got all the women together, got all the men together. And they were like, we got to figure out a way to get these men and push them out of uh, the region. And that's what they did. And then Paul, as he was leaving the city and being pushed out of the city uh, for these people coming against them and the gospel, he says this was to fulfill scripture, is that they were going to be rebuked by the Jews, but now they're going to turn their hearts and their minds to the Gentiles. And it says that then, after their focus went from out of the synagogue to into the region, it says that the Gentiles were able to then carry the gospel throughout all of the region. And that's kind of just like a simple paraphrase that I could uh, to give it. But I think one of the funniest things is that they ran past. It says that, you know, who was, do you remember who was with Paul and Barnabas for the journey? No. <laughs> John Mark. Oh, yes. John Mark was there. It says that, it says at the very beginning, it says where John left them to return to Jerusalem. But it doesn't talk about that there was a big argument that they had because it was too much for John John Mark to be in there. That is true. That yeah. is true. And so I, I just I always think about the context of when later on when Paul was like, uh-uh, he's not coming back on this trip with us again uh-huh. because it was too much for him the first time. Yeah. But you don't really get to read into that at yeah. first at, in That's Acts good. chapter 13. I forgot about that. Yeah, so what do, you th- what do you think John was experiencing? Through the lens of John, there's these miracles happening, Bar Jesus is getting blinded, all these things. But then it says that John had to go back to Jerusalem because it was too much. What, what is some of your guys' insight on too that? Too much as in uh, what, what they were experiencing or too much as in he didn't want to go to the Gentiles? What nope. they were experiencing. I, yeah, I would say it was more so what they were 
um, experiencing, because you got to think, like. He was young, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So imagine leaving everything you know. Yeah. And then you're just out here roughing it, going yeah. from city to city. Mm-hmm. Just like Jesus told his disciples earlier on in the Gospels, like, don't take anything with you. Go from city to city. Yeah teaching them to do all of what I've commanded you to do. Yeah, I feel like that's like that's like real talk though cuz I feel like, I mean, we've experienced that within this church of mm-hmm. people who like uh you talked yeah. about the three different different baptisms and mm-hmm. uh part of that what you you talked about praying in tongues and people were like whoa there that's that's too much. That's mm-hmm. going too f-. and you weren't even praying in tongues. You just mm-hmm. talked about it and people were doing that. I feel like that's like I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he was going in about, but like we have experienced the too muchness of of what people see as too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too. I don't think he was processed enough, um, or as much as Paul and Barnabas were. Um, he was young, he was gifted, he had a lot of potential. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was related to Barnabas. And they decided to take him on in their missions, but obviously he ended up leaving. Mm-hmm. I think there was some discouragement in there. I think there was some dealing with persecution, dealing with uh, people's criticism and all those things that he was not ready for. There's a scripture later on in the New Testament, I'm not sure if it's Acts or not, but it says, Paul wrote a letter and said, call for John Mark, because now he's profitable for ministry. Mm. And so it was years later, after he had time to mature and and grow, that Paul said, call for him now, Mm. because he's profitable ministry so really it's not as much as it was a negative thing that it was too much for him yeah although it did cause a stir because it it it, barnabas had to convince paul to To allow to to allow john mark to come within this later mission missionary journeys yeah and so when you look at that it kind of gives you a negative like uh, mindset towards john mark when you see that he left yeah but there is a true thing that sometimes people leave a season too soon because their character cannot sustain yeah uh, and they're genuine the believers call. and, and call, truly called people well it yeah. says that they were it says before they left that they fasted and they, they worshiped and they prayed and all said, of them together and it said paul and barnabas mm, the yes. holy spirit said that yeah but barnabas convinced mm. him to take john mark mm, that's mm, good who was not ready good. in that season wow Yep. And so sometimes we as leaders and we as those, as ministers of the gospel, we can see people who have great potential, who are very gifted, who are growing and accelerating in spiritual things. And we can think, okay, let's bring them there. They're ready to go. But oftentimes they're not. Oftentimes they're they're gifting or calling anointing is more mature the bible says every good and perfect gift is from above it's more mature than where they are personally 
in their character, in their stick to itness, in their grit mm-hmm. to fight through and persevere against adversity and persecution and all those things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll they'll um, get discouraged quickly or, yeah. or not pan out in that season. Yeah. It's because they were thrown in too soon. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like a um, like a coach when a young player is really good, mm-hmm. but they kind of throw him in too soon, and he doesn't perform the way that they thought he would, right. and he gets discouraged, and they got to kind of pull him out the game, like, okay, he's oh, not ready. That is so – I remember yeah. my freshman year um, at in high school. Yep. We went to Mount Union football camp, and Marvin – our cousin Marvin got in trouble because he was always getting in trouble. trouble yep. And he was our starting quarterback. And what happened was, since he got in trouble, coach called him to help with JV, and I was called to help with varsity. And I was a pretty talented kid, but I had never played at a varsity level before. Yeah. And so it was like kind of like this. For me, it was a shock because I was so used to being like the dominant guy, being able to play with people my age and all that. I think even given context, like your last football experience was in middle school. Right. Now yeah. you're playing in high now school. I'm playing senior. First thing school. before the season yeah, in the now, summer, yeah. yeah. Now at I'm quarterback. Playing, yeah. Now I'm playing All quarterback, play. the main position against seniors in high school. Yeah. And like I remember that I was just so in my head. I thought I was the worst football player yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Like I remember just crying on the sidelines because I was just so frustrated. I was like yeah. mad. I was like mad. I was frustrated. I was like, man, yeah. I'm not as good as I thought what I happened? was. Yeah. Like. And all those things. <clears throat> but I think that there's a truth to, like, it's not that I, the talent wasn't there or the ability to grow into and mature into. It's just that it wasn't my time. Yeah. Or that I need to grow. Yeah, I needed to grow and to be developed yeah. um, in that. And I yeah. think that's why it's really important, you know, for, for a church and for our church to have a space for people to be developed because seasons – so many people despise the season of obscurity when no one knows you, no mm-hmm. one sees you, no one knows what's going on yeah. or any of those things. But you don't realize those are the times that God is probably developing you yeah. the most. Yeah. But being that the Holy Spirit called Paul and he called Barnabas and they saw all of this raw talent or this giftedness within yeah. John Mark yeah. that we know was that was, was in John Mark. Yeah. Um, but calling him to that mission so early yeah. revealed what was not yet developed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in ministry, I feel like I've heard, um, so often people who are in probably John Mark's shoes where they see all these people so advanced, um, and have a deep desire to be there but they <clears throat> get so overcome by in their minds i have so much i need to like so much i need to do mm-hmm. and it feels like i can never keep up yeah. you know what i'm saying and so like when you're in john mark's shoes what is your posture to continue moving forward you have to be able to say i'm not ready mm-hmm. you have to have the self awareness to say I'm not ready because people will push you before your time. They tried to push Jesus to be king before his time. They tried to make him do it. And so because people, just like we were talking earlier about people pushing Barnabas and Paul, like you guys are gods. And they're like, wait, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? People will push you to be what they feel you should be 
or their vision for you, which may align with God's vision, but their timing is off. And so you have to be able to say, I'm not there yet. Sometimes even to those over you, because they see your potential and they feel like you would be great in this space. And if it was only based on, on gifting and anointing, yes. But the, the character development that it requires to do that for the long haul and have longevity, it takes process. And so that's why you see God dealing with, with Moses the way he did, or Joseph, or David, and Daniel, over and over in the Bible. So many of them had process. seasons. And so many of them had seasons of obscurity. Moses yes. going to... And adversity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. And it's to process their character so that they could last. And that is the downfall a lot of times in ministry now. People don't realize that's what it is. But the church especially charismatic church has gotten in the habit of elevating young gifted and anointed people who mm-hmm. have not been processed mm-hmm. and they last for a season. They have and ability, but not the character. Yeah, and yes. And they last for a season, <sighs> but then they fall off and fall away because they weren't processed to hold that position or that place of authority for the span that God called them to because they put them up there too early. And, and it leaves a mark of discouragement on them and, and different things of the people who followed them. But you have to care more, and this is for leadership, you have to care more about that person's soul than what they can do in ministry. You would rather if you you would rather avoid in that ministry to put somebody there that's character is yeah. not able to sustain it. Or even go without. Go, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that by void, yeah. like just go without having a certain ministry if you yeah. don't have the proper person to have the character to do it. Exactly. And, but allow there to be a process for someone to grow, to grow, and that, and be intentional maybe about that person and seeing them grow and develop and being clear about that. Right. But, yeah. right. What were you about to say, Luke? Well, I mean, I was about to ask a question, but I feel like you guys just answered it. But my question was going to be, what if you are in Barnabas's shoes? Or, or even let's just say like a small church who uh, needs help. Yeah. Um, and they are surrounded by just a bunch of people who they see has the potential mm-hmm. but don't have the character yet. How do you move forward in ministry that, in that situation? That is the discipline of leadership. Leadership has to be disciplined not to um, put people in harm's way because what you're putting them in front of mm-hmm is not only people to minister to them. You're putting in front of the warfare that's coming against those people yeah. who you're trying to minister that's to. That's good. That's yeah. so good. And so you have to be careful of that. Like Jesus didn't send his disciples out, I think it was like until almost two years after they had been disciples. And he sent them out two by two mm-hmm. as well. It wasn't until three and a half years where he just released them on his own and he left. It was like, now go. You guys go. I've trained you. I believe in you. You've experienced highs, lows unbelief, criticism, denied me, ran away. We've been through the ringer. Now I know your character is ready. You're stable enough to do this ministry. And so we have to allow stability and like we saw like people to get their footing in, in ministry and in spiritual things so that that doesn't happen. We, we even have, not to go off topic, but we even have church splits because of that. It's so, it's been so many young leaders that will come up and 
but they'll split from their spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers and older leaders because they have the influence of the people. But those churches never really flourish because they're really like birthing an Ishmael, so to speak, out of the will of God. They're able to give birth to something because of their gifting, but it's not the perfect will of God and what he wants done. And so it limits what God can do there because they didn't stay in his timing. And it's a hard thing to do, but it's necessary. And that's what I think J.D. was saying, that sometimes you have to be willing to go without, though you see the potential in that person to supply a need because they're not ready to step into the place to provide that for the body over the long haul. They may be able to do it for a season, but when adversity, criticisms, people's opinions, all these things start coming in, they slowly but surely crumble or forsake it because they're not, they're not ready for for it in that time they haven't been developed so would you say the ground level for someone necessarily isn't ability but it's character Mm -hmm. for ministry yeah because i i think that's what because there's a difference between someone may not have the grace of of matures of ability Mm -hmm. but their character can sustain it yeah and so it's kind of like flipping the mindset like i see you have this ability so i'm gonna put you up there but you don't look at the character yeah but i think you shouldn't just like but because the person doesn't have the ability of what you think they have. You're afraid of putting them in that space because you're like, they don't mess it up. They're, yeah. they're not that great of a singer yet, or they're not yeah. that good of a whatever, yeah. but their character can be amazing. Yep. And I think that's sometimes the other way of how they yeah. look at it yeah. in, in a sense of like, well, we want to have the best this, the best that, and all that. Yeah. But then you ignore. Never, but you, you're ignoring the growth and the maturity mm-hmm. that this person Needs. can actually grow into, where yeah. if you just would have made the decision then because that person's character could could sustain it yeah three years down the road it was like oh wow i'm glad we made that decision three years ago to stick with you or you know what i mean because both would be developed right that person would be developed who who you feel may not be as gifted as the other person and then the person who who is gifted that you want to put up there they're being developed Mm -hmm. but in a place of obscurity or safety so to speak Mm -hmm. to where they don't have all the the criticism and all the people and all the pressure and all people Mm -hmm. pulling on them and all that kind of stuff and so you're actually preserving the the health of your church and the health of your leadership i feel like leadership health in the church has been sacrificed a lot yeah Sure. And you and you see it all the time. And I'm not harping on pastors, but we have the highest rate now more than ever of of pastors who have taken their own lives from the pressures of ministry. Mm-hmm. And we all know that that's not the perfect will of God for their life for that to happen. But there are multiple reasons why that happens. And one can be what we're talking about. That's not to say that's what the case with everyone, mm-hmm. but one can be that case. And I feel like God put this in Acts to, to, to help us and to guide us. But I feel like the redemption of it is him, John Mark, being called back into ministry and saying now he's ready or now he's profitable to the ministry because of his development, because of his growth. And yeah. now he's able to walk in what God actually called him to do or what you saw in him mm-hmm. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's now able to fulfill it. And yeah. I can trust you mm-hmm. in there. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's 
I feel like there is such a, a mindset that is not of uh, young believers, at least in in what I've seen. Where I mean, even in the world, the world is all about ability and what you can do, mm-hmm. and uh, not about the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's also a level of the, of the individual um, who wants to be excelled or mm-hmm. um, whatever. Yeah. To understand that, because I feel like there is such high offense in not being elevated mm-hmm. within the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where you know they don't think that you value them. You don't think that you see what they see. Yeah. Uh, you're you're disabling them yeah. from the ministry that God has called them to. Yeah. But for them to even understand what I think what you said was so good is yeah. you're not just putting them in front of the people, but you're putting them in front of the spiritual warfare yeah. that's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the depth that's there yeah. within even knowing how to fight yeah. the spiritual battle, then yeah. you are not going to be able to. Well, last. Not even that you're you not going to be able to. You won't last. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because you, you will be able to um, probably sustain for a, a little season. bit. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I mean, you think about like even even Bar Jesus, like he was he was yeah. excelled for a season, mm-hmm. and people like praised him for doing miracles, all that stuff, yeah. right? But then he got to a point where he he was exposed, uh-huh. and I think that's that's for everybody. You will be exposed. Perfect yeah. perfect example in the New Testament, like Judas is one. Mm-hmm. He just never quite got wholeheartedly on board with what Jesus was saying, mm-hmm. and his heart was going. Mm-hmm. Um, wavering, but another person was um, what's the man's name? Nikolai, and he was one of the seven that was chosen by Where the Nicolaitans came from, right? Yeah, Nicolaitans. by the disciples or by the apostles. He was one of the seven that was chosen to, with Stephen and Philip mm-hmm. and all of them, to go. And minister to people, and they did great things. But by the time it gets to Revelation, yep. Jesus is warning the people not to heed his doctrine and not to listen to him because he has mixture in his doctrine. So yeah, his doctrine was about more about like you could do whatever, you could live like the pagans live, but still accept the gospel. Yeah, but still accept Christ. And so it became a, a thing where. Somewhere in his walk, mm-hmm. he got messed up, and I feel like leadership leadership can get a complex sometimes because I don't know too many leaders who haven't, at one point or another, put somebody in a position or exalted somebody where, when it was too early. I don't know. I don't know too many. And but what happens is when that happens with leadership, they'll kind of halt it to where they're not really moving anybody but mm. Jesus the apostles there's usually going to be one Jesus had one the apostles had one there's usually going to be one in there that's going to turn and not last so you almost have to prepare your mind for that mm-hmm. because it's part of the growth process for you as a leader and, and teaching you how to deal with um Failure, though it may not be personal, you didn't fail, but ministry failure, how to deal I with. I mean, but go ahead. You, 
it is you. I, I know what you're saying. It, yeah. it is you failing. I mean, as a church, but not ultimately failing. But you yeah. made a, you made a ministry mistake, mistake yeah. as leadership. Yeah, and you have to be able to be willing to move forward in that. Yeah. What happens a lot of times is that it almost seems as though ministries sulk in that. And it's like, and so because they made the wrong decision, they don't want to. They do don't want to make any more decisions yeah, exactly. or go out in faith for whatever the next thing is, yeah. and it makes you end up not being able to trust people because because this one person didn't back did this then, yeah. back then did this like I'm not opening up that part of our ministry again, again. because it went bad that but time. you don't see that in the bible they continue to um, allow people of allow to people grow. to come in and to have leaders so much so to where it wasn't even a decision for them to make they yeah. said we're going to give this vote over to the people and we'll allow the people to choose who the leader should be among them. Yep. Um, now, mind you, they had qualifications, but I think when it comes to church and making sure that people have, like, the proper character to be able to sustain the ministry, a lot of times it's so you, you should not hold on so tightly to what you think it needs to be, but it needs to be a collective, yeah. it needs to be a collective prayer, a collective mm-hmm. thought of who, who here knows the track record of this person. I was reading anybody... That I've been, I've talked to the last couple of weeks. I've been talking to them about this book that um, Dr. Henry Cloud um, came out with called Trust, and he was talking about there's like five aspects to trust. There's like there's it's understanding, it's motive, it's ability, it's character, and it's track record. Like within each one of those categories is is trust. Do I trust that this person understands what the vision is? Do I trust that this person has the the uh, the right motive? Is it for them or is it for the church? Do I do I trust that this person has the proper ability um, to do this? Do I trust that the person has the proper character for this? Do I trust that the person has the proper track record? Right. Yeah. And so when you just say I trust you or I don't trust you, it's actually loaded because trust is layered. Yeah. Because I can trust your ability, but I don't necessarily trust your motive. I can I can understand that you have understand the vision, but you may not have the character right now for me to trust you in this space. Yeah. And I think what 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 the Bible shows is that there was a collective of people or a collective of governance that made those type of decisions that we weren't just doing it on a whim. It says that when um, it said that the elders would come and to lay hands the elders, as in plural, would come and lay hands on a person in order to bless them and to to move them forward in the ministry. And it was like a pluralistic type of of thing. But I think what happens is so often the church now operates like a CEO business model Mm -hmm. and like what the pastor says goes or what even the head of the the, the group says is what goes. But there's no way you can get the true sphere of that trust, uh, yeah. an understanding, motive, ability, character, and track record without getting further insights from other right. people. And I think, you know, I know we hung out on this for, for, for a minute on oh, John Mark, good. but. Well, I think that there's also an aspect of even what you said, Paige, is Holy Spirit said Barnabas and, and Paul. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like there is a lot of um, Barnabas with his relationship yeah. wanted there to yeah. be a, yeah. an, Excel, and I think it's so. I'm gonna easy. bring him along yeah, with it. Yeah, 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 I think it's it's really easy to, yeah. um, and it's good intention. Yeah, for sure. And Barnabas sure. was a smart guy, a yeah, spiritual yeah. guy. I yeah. mean, very mature. Yeah, but he still made that mistake. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean. But he still made that mistake. And I think, and I think too, just in this context, you don't want to um, discourage 
youth as well in the ministry. Um, just in, as an example, Timothy was young mm-hmm. in ministry, but as JD said, he um, he was he was not only um, watched is the best word I can think of, but um, paid a, watched, watched, paid attention oh, to yeah. and and um, analyzed all those things, all those words by Paul, but by the elders. Paul said that the elders laid hands on him and launched him into ministry. And he even told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your right. youth yeah. because you're called and you're, and you're ready to do this. You're ready to lead the Corinthian church. So there's, there's that side of it too, yeah. to where you may be young, but you have been processed. You have gone through um, spiritual training and been covered and been submitted and been watched and and the elders have come together and and said obviously under the leadership of the holy spirit that this is who needs to be put in this place and then you have that dynamic of going forward in your calling as well as being young because the truth is the dynamic is you will minister to people who are older than you right and who can be your mother or be your grandmother grandfather and that's a di- and that's a dynamic that can be hard for the person, but it's usually harder for the people to receive from them. And I think that it's something that has to be worked on with mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Because it doesn't come overnight and you're like, okay, yes, you're 20 years older than me. Yes, you when I was born, <laughs> you were already an adult. Yeah. But God has saw fit for me to be in this place or this position for a reason. And there's something that I can give. And there's something that you have to receive from me. There's also things that you can give to me in this place. But God has chosen me to be in this place for a reason. And it's ultimately going to benefit you if you trust God. In that, and so there's there's levels of humility in that as well, and I've I've just seen I've seen it been seen it be hard for members I call them seasoned church members or seasoned saints who've been in the faith decades to to receive on a consistent basis or be led or even be submitted to someone who is noticeably younger than them or or different dynamics like that it becomes tough but it doesn't negate the calling and the process of god in those times no i'm definitely i'm i'm actually thankful for that specific thing in this church because when i first was asked to be the pastor of this church i was 28 years old um and i think the average age of our church was probably almost three times that yeah you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so I wouldn't say maybe not the average, but I mean, we were majority older. You're a lot of salt and pepper yeah. um, out there, and I love them. You know, I yeah. got my, my girls I call the golden girls and all that, but yeah. they, they actually showed me what it was for an older generation believing in someone who I believe I believe I had the, the shown them that I had the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in the beginning of showing I had the, uh, uh, the yeah. ability yeah. Um, and the understanding or whatever, the track record. Yeah. I was just somebody that was serving all the time wherever I needed to serve yeah. and all those things. But I was truly, truly, I believe that now our church 
um, I've I've had the blessing of being being able to see that our church is willing to receive not just me though, as it, our church now has a track record of receiving Luke, you know, receiving Rayana, you know, receiving different people, receiving you, yeah. just different people that are younger that are different yeah. than what they're accustomed to. Yeah. Like our church looks totally different than what it was before four years ago. I mean, in four years, we've, our church has grown 200 plus people and it looks completely different. And our people are still going, let's go. And that, but that's from 30 years of there being a core group of people that can continue to pray and intercede for our church faithfully. And so that way, when something did look different, I say I'm the only. I feel like I'm the only black guy in Oregon. Y'all want me to be the pastor of this place? <laughs> and then I come, and now we have a black worship leader. Then we have a a, a, a black knucklehead from Ravenna, Ohio, that's coming and helping us. You know, we got a young guy from Genoa who was homeschooled, and you know how them homeschool kids are. <laughs> weird. <laughs> no, I'm just um, but that's a weird. <laughs> <laughs> we love our homeschool kids. Here. We do love our. Homeschool. We do. But um, I just think that it's cool to kind of see, though, that we're still there's still a lot of young people and young young ministry leaders that are developing. But it's cool to have an atmosphere to say that's okay. We see that they're developing and yeah. find the right time and places to put those people in the proper positions for our yeah. church to continue to grow. So, yeah. well, we camped out on this point pretty long. That's a good point. Though. It is. A, I do think it's a great point. Yeah. Um, moving forward, though. Um, I think the next session section what well, we got out of that little part of John, the biggest part of like of what I read in thirteen through like fifty two was it was really just um Paul explaining the gospel, and it was like the power of the gospel was so strong that like these people were like, "Please come back the next Sabbath yeah. and it says that the that the next Sabbath this is that there were so many people there. That it says that the the people who were the devout Jews and all that stuff, they had to, like, rally up. They had to go find and rally up some people to oppose Paul and Barnabas. And it's kind of like, why so often do we think that the gospel and just sharing the gospel message isn't enough for God to move and for him to be able to move? Because clearly, Mm -hmm. thinking about Paul and Barnabas coming to a Jewish synagogue— people who were devout people in Judaism and all that, talking about Jesus, it's almost like what they felt, a lot of them felt was blasphemous. Yeah. But it was so captivating in the way that they spoke, people speaking with authority, people seeing the, what I would say was like almost glory that was like yeah. on them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just like, wow, these people are bringing a confidence and authority that we've never seen. And it was all stemmed from proclaiming Jesus Christ yeah. is the Messiah, he's the Lord. I mean, they were like legit bringing the kingdom to that city with what they were doing um, and the people rejected it. And that's why, I mean, I think it's so people. Some of the people rejected. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the at the end of of chapter 13, it says. What does it say? But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to uh, Iconium. So, like, they shook their, the dust off, which is what Jesus told them to do when he first sent them out, yeah. is to go in the cities. If they reject you, dust off your feet and yeah. move, move on. on. Yeah. And so, like, they did the same thing because, yeah. because the city as a whole mm-hmm. rejected the kingdom. Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, I feel like that can sound really harsh. Yeah. But ultimately... Um, I think about the story of when we went to that retreat and, and the, the neighborhood that we were in was very 
demonic. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the house that we the house that we were in, mm-hmm. we experienced. So we saw like it was wow. crazy. So we walked around the block, and we were Super praying. Dark. It was crazy. Wow. Like yeah, it was legit crazy. What's the hood of Dayton? Yeah. Um. But but one thing JD says as we were praying, walking, is he said he felt the Lord say, uh, I forget what, what it was. It was something along the lines of, um, "Don't contend for what I have given over." Um, and I think that that is a true aspect when it comes to how we minister. But it's something that um, you, the individual, needs to be able to discern and understand and have wisdom about, because sometimes it needs to be contended for. Um, but then sometimes God has already given it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think that there's also an aspect of hand them over to Satan yeah. for them to hopefully be returned with a repentant heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that is like a it, you have to deny the emotions that you have. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it, it's a crazy it's a crazy thing to think about. I th- I think too, in regards to that, I think that's another facet of leadership that has to be brought to light. You have to build up. And work a muscle that helps you to deal with rejection from mm-hmm. people. So many people come into ministry with this mindset that because God has called me and I have yeah. a calling and, I, and I'm anointed, that everybody's going to receive my message. Mm-hmm. Everybody didn't receive Jesus's message. Right. And trust me, you don't preach better than him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not more anointed than him. <laughs> You're not more gifted than him. Yeah. So if they rejected him, if some people rejected him, then you're going to face rejection as well. And you have to build up a grit in your mind, like your mental toughness and your heart, not to get offended and bitter at people when they reject your message or reject your calling. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think it's also along the along the way. Yeah. Those people who were in the city. I mean, the Gentiles received. Yeah. And they changed the region. Yeah. And so in that, in your ministry, you minister as, as you are, are led to do right. and equip and train those people. And then they carry it on as you have to move forward and as yeah. you are, are called to move forward. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times uh, we stay where, we, where there's a need mm-hmm. when we're called to move forward. Yeah. And therefore, you are limiting the, what can come to that area because... You are staying there when yeah. you are called to leave. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I believe leaders need to do is they need to build up their rejection muscles, kind of like what you were talking about. Because at the end of this, uh, at the end of the chapter 13, it says that Paul and Barnabas, um, it says, in, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so it shows that their rejection that they experienced did not become their identity or dictate what they were going to continue um, to do. Because as Paul and Barnabas says, it's like we are there was there was something within us that well, actually not even something within us. It's that they even quote a scripture that says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas were saying, like, now that the Jews a, a representation some a portion of the Jews have rejected us now we can truly turn our hearts and our minds towards the Gentiles who are more willing to receive us even than the Jews were you know what that makes me think about do you remember in Micah 
when um, this may be a little bit a, a, a side note or a little bunny trail, but it makes me think about in Micah where he says um, when he's talking about the offering that the people of Israel are given to him, mm-hmm. and he says. Your guys' offerings, you give me your lame animals, you give me your diseased animals, and you give me less than your best. But the fragrance and what's being sent to me from other nations is much greater than you because they truly fear me and they truly honor me. And it seems as though there's this running theme with people who are sometimes closest to God have a certain comfortability of what they can expect from God. Are they can, are in the way that God should come? Are they believe in this projection or trajectory um, that they seem to know how God's going to do and know how that God's going to act? But it was actually like in this picture with people who weren't comfortable, who weren't as knowledgeable of, of the scriptures and, and, you know, the different prophetic readings and all those things. They were more willing to accept the gospel than people who had all the signs that Jesus was the fulfillment of of the of the good news, the yeah. Messiah coming. And I think that, you know, that we see that in the book of Acts that these these Yeah, I don't know. I I just think that that's an interesting distinction to see. I think that people who have been in the faith for a long time or have been Christians for a long time or were just raised in church have to fight the um, it's really um, a spiritual war of being casual with God Mm -hmm. and complacency that people who haven't had that privilege don't necessarily have to fight because anywhere that you're in for a long period of time or an extended period of time, you start to get comfortable. You start to feel like you know the ins and outs, how it goes. And it, it loses its um, luster or, 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 or awe and reverence that you should have for it because you just kind of get on cruise control with God. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it takes like us Gentiles, to the Jewish people, it takes God doing something in somebody else's life or those around us or those less fortunate than us and using them to do great things that provokes a spiritual jealousy and a fire in us to go after God or to love God and honor God the way that we should have been all along. But God... I love God's heart in that because he will use them to bring you back to your first love and your your jealousy for him in love. Yeah. I think that it's very easy for that to happen. I feel like I've seen that in my own life, in my own walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think back when I was at UT and, and like it, my faith was mine for the first time, you know, and it was like there was such like a rejoicing in my heart. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's a, it's it's easy to to get to that point of what you're describing of kind of like the the mundane type yeah. Christian walk. Yeah. And so, how would you say that person who is in that mundane place to return to a joyful heart? I say I was just thinking about the picture of this. Is you you have to continue continually take steps of faith in your life. 
Because when you go from not knowing God to knowing God, you are taking a step of faith into something you've never known before, you've never experienced before. And so the joy of that salvation, the joy of what you've been saved from is now feeling you like, wow, God is, God is truly a savior. But what happens is so often we then stay there and we don't ever continue to take leaps of faith within our walk That's in good. Christ. That's good. So we stay stagnant and then we just grow comfortable in this place. So in the life that we make for ourselves, it's comfortable. It's not, it's not challenging us. It's not, we almost don't even need a savior for the way that we're living our life because we're staying safe. But God never called us to safe as far as when our faith how our faith goes. And so when I see that, I, when I see a culture is, is stagnant and there's not movement, it shows me a culture that hasn't taken steps of faith. They're not, they're not running towards something that is, that is what they believe in, mm-hmm. but it's unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like we, can, we can truly believe in the thing that, that we can't see and run towards it, and that's scary. And, and But being that it's scary, it makes me trust and depend on God because, Lord, I can't actually run towards this thing without you. Right. I, right. Can't, I can't break this thing without you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what, and that's exactly what happened with, with Paul and Barnabas. It says that they, they prayed and the Holy Spirit told them to go. They were probably comfortable where they were. They had their, their, their brothers and their sisters around them. It was safer where they were. Yeah. But being that the Holy Spirit told them to go, they had to take a leap of faith. They need to go to Antioch. They had to go to, you know, the different places. And it's all, although Barnabas was from Cyprus, like Barnabas was going back to his hometown, like a place he hasn't been and all those things. And he's having to go and to preach the gospel of, 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 of Jesus Christ. And like, that's not, I'm sure that's not very comfortable, mm-hmm. you know? And like, they're literally in the context, like, wow, we did this uncomfortable thing and we even got rejected in it. But yet still we got to see the hand of God and how, we were able to preach this gospel to the Gentiles, and it says that they were filled with joy, mm-hmm. and they saw these people who knew nothing about the Messiah, knew nothing about Jesus, knew nothing about the Torah, probably, knew nothing about any of those things, but yet they got to see an encounter mm-hmm. with God. And so because of that, they was like, wow, I'll take another leap of faith because this is so much greater than staying safe. For, safer in our in the comforts of our home and the comforts of our synagogue where we know everybody thinks our way and believes our way yeah well, that's really good i think that's that's very powerful um speaking about the leap of faith because we can we can start not to take leaps of faith or become stagnant in our faith when we've been a believer for an extended amount of time and we get comfortable in where our faith is and we're like yeah let's just camp out here but I think it's so interesting that Jesus says that we're to have the heart of a child and that and that wonder and that awe and that always wanting to know more children are always learning they're always wanting to know more they're always um, stretching their faith so to speak and believing for the impossible and so if we don't keep that heart of a child, it's hard to to grow and to stay in the function of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. The older we get, the more critical we get. Mm-hmm. The more parameters we put on God, the more limitations we put so on our true. life. So true. And so you have to keep the heart of a child. It's like as you as people mature in Christianity, it's like their faith becomes compressed and put into these boxes and 
and the structure of how it should operate instead of allowing a blank canvas and letting God paint the picture that he wants to paint with your life. That, that is how most believers come into faith. And then over time, it starts to morph into what they, what they believe it should be or, or what um, other Christians, their environment is. When you come into an environment of apathy, you start to embrace, yeah. And so I think keeping that childlike faith and childlike wonder causes you, number one, to realize you don't know God as well as you do. I think that's a big thing with, with people in faith that's been in faith for a while. Well, I know God and I know her, but we don't know God as well as we could know God. Right. I think we become, we become far too comfortable really with a God we barely know. And so you, as much as you know God, there's so much more that you don't know about God. And so if you have that perspective that there's so much more to know about God, it's so much deeper that I can go in God, then, then you have a mindset to go forward and to, and to launch out into the deep. The Bible says that the Spirit searches all things. It says, yes, the deep things of God or the depths of God. And so if you're being led by the Spirit, you should be going after the depths of God and going deeper in relationship with him and not just staying um, comfortable or even shallow. The depths of God instances. can only be found in places of faith. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I feel like you're saying. Yeah. It's just like you can't get into the depths of who God is if you don't have the faith to put yourself in the in the experience to experience his depth and realize that you don't know right as much as i could say oh i know god i know there's so much about god that i don't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that and that drives and pulls me to know god better and to know god deeper it's like the when the people heard in this city what paul and barnabas were saying it says that they begged yeah. Then to come back because they they desired so much to know more. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. What else are you guys thinking about this? What else stands out to you, Pastor? I mean, just that. I mean, that kind of for me, them them coming out of that situation rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Um, even through the trials and the, the tribulation that they had and where they were, I mean, I think that that just speaks a good word for us mm-hmm. is that in, in what God has called us to do, there's going to be seasons of rejection and there's yeah. going to be seasons of rejoicing. Yeah. And you can't look at you can't look at any one part, you know, what I mean, and just focus focus and fix it on that part. It's all comes it all yeah. it all comes together. Yeah, it's a, sure. It all has benefit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think too, just learning how to pivot. Yes. Yep. Like they instantly this pivot yeah. and being flexible spiritually and allowing God to move. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, He said, "Everyone is born of the Spirit, like the wind. Mm-hmm. You hear it, you feel it, but you don't know where it's coming or where it's going. So at any moment, the Spirit could lead you and redirect you, and you have to be willing to pivot because." His timing is perfect, and that's that may be your next season of of fruitfulness and mm-hmm. harvest. But sometimes the Holy Spirit has the hardest time getting us to pivot mm-hmm. from what we know or yeah. what we're comfortable with, yeah. or what we become accustomed to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
That's good. Um, so I feel like we've talked to uh, young believers. We talked to old believers. Um, I, I do have one question, though. Um, thinking about young people who are wanting to uh, move forward or excel, as we were talking about before, I kind of want to go back to that because um, I think that young people also want to serve, but they also want to be in a place where they can serve. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't, I don't know if what we were saying before kind of sounded like you have to wait to serve mm -hmm. or, or wait to step into leadership. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I just yeah. like I make a distinction a dis there. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there's a distinction between service and leadership. Yeah. I think your service is what qualifies you for leadership. Um, if you look early on, earlier on in the book of Acts, um, I'm trying to remember what were the three distinctions. They say look for people who um, had good rapport, uh, filled with the spirit. Um, uh, what was uh, the third one? They had to be. Oh yeah, with wisdom. Was it wisdom or filled with spirit? Uh, it may have been wisdom. It may have been wisdom. I can't remember. But there's obviously qualifications yeah. for leadership, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was maybe in Acts chapter seven. Um, I think seven. that the, uh, it's Acts chapter 7. Because uh, it was when they were choosing the 7, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where's that at? Is that not in Acts chapter 7? No, 7 is when Stephen gets stoned. Stephen, yeah. Mm. So it was before that. Right before that. Oh. Acts 6. But maybe we can have our producer find that for us. Producer, could you look that up for us real fast? See if it's in Acts chapter 6. We Thank have you. Rihanna producing um, uh, pr producing the... Uh, the, the, I don't even know what to call it, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say the ones and twos, but that's not, the, not that type of DJ. But, um, but yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things for just me as a leader, when I see that people just have a heart to serve, it makes me want to put them in positions in front of people mm -hmm. because I know that they, their heart has been shaped by serving. Yeah. But if I see someone that serves only when they want to, only when they're asked, only when that, it lets me know, not that that person's a bad person, but it may show that their passion for the culture may not be where it is because their heart isn't too... Their heart may be for our culture to do well or to be to do good, but yeah. they they're not. That's, they're receiving from the culture instead of contributing to the culture. Yeah. And I think at some point in time, and and I'm not just saying like within the four walls of our church. I mean like being the church and serving could be Cherry Street missions. Mm -hmm. It could be at your school. It could be at your job and those type of things. You can serve the people that are around you. It's you being a host of your home. Yeah. But if you're just sitting back. You know, just going week by week, you don't talk to anybody. Like yeah, playing if you're, church. Yeah. If you're professing that you're a Christian, I mm -hmm. should say. If you're professing, prof professing that you're a Christian, but week by week goes by, you never talk about the Lord. You never talk about the gospel. Mm. You never invite anyone into your home. You're not looking for ways to serve or any of those things. I'm believing that those, that person has a very, either, has a very weak faith and a very shallow um, uh, um, life and I don't mean that to be rude but I mean I, I truly believe you are able to um, experience life at its fullest when you serve wholeheartedly and when you love wholeheartedly and, and, and that's really hard um, but yeah I think the distinction um, 
is that not just it's not your ability that brings you into leadership. I think it's your ability to serve uh, with that because every gift that a person has is meant to give. But if you just have all these gifts and they're just f- to bring you benefit, yeah. then it's not really adding to the culture. It's just adding to you. Right, right. All right, I've got this. It's in uh, Acts 6. It yeah. says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Or rapport. rapport. Yeah, yeah. Um, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to, to this duty. Yeah. yeah. So then it, it goes on in verse 4. Yeah. Well, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Yes. Yeah. So the appointed, but then also the call of the congregation of praying over them and sending them out. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, yeah, and so service wasn't in it, but I said, you're not a man of good rapport if you don't serve. That's yeah. what I remember saying. Like, it's these people, these are seven people out of a church of 8,000 yeah. people. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's some way that these men's name had yeah. to come up and yeah. it had to be through the way that they served. Mm-hmm. A lot of these men were pro- people who probably helped orchestrate the meal train for mm-hmm. the Hellenist women and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think it's even important to emphasize like because some people can look at that and say well the the apostle said could look at it and say well the apostle said will you guys go and do that while we'll give ourselves to prayer and reading the word but I feel like there's and I've heard people say that that's why I'm saying this um there's a dynamic of service that people are missing when they say that the disciples had already had a proven track record mm-hmm. of serving Jesus personally. Mm-hmm. And so their hearts had been exercised in service and in sacrifice and in forsaking all and being out on the whim yeah. and, and doing all this type of stuff to where they're saying now in this season, our focus has to be on prayer and the word because now our job is to establish the doctrine of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that this church can stand mm-hmm. on. And we can't do that fully without being in the secret place with God. Mm-hmm. And so for now, we have to be in a secret place with God to know how to establish this on a firm foundation. And that in this season is our service. Yeah. And so I think people kind of can take that mindset, well, you guys go out and do this, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. But they had a track record of serving already, mm-hmm. and, and but they realized that was their season of how they were to come out and to serve, yeah. Yeah, was good. to establish doctrine in that time. Man, that's yeah. so, it's so good. Yeah. That's why I love the movie Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'll, I'll make the connection, no. though. Uh, Maximus, the main character of Gladiator, he was actually going to be, I believe his name was Marcus Aurelius. Yep. Uh, he was going to establish Maximus as the leader over the empire. Yeah. And um, his son didn't like that because his son was supposed to be the next person in line. Mm-hmm. But his son did not have the proven track record. Mm-hmm. His son did not have the proven track record of what it meant to be a leader mm-hmm. over it. And his father knew that the better person to lead these people would be Maximus instead of my son. And being that his son knew that his son killed his father and he usurped him and all that. But throughout that whole movie, throughout that whole movie, you see uh, the track record 
of, of Maximus, no matter where he went, whether he was in the pits or whether he was in the palace, is you hear, you see all throughout the movie, these men, he would earn the men's trust. Mm. And that way, when he would go into a certain room, as you see the movie progressively, like, oh, that's Maximus. We need to listen to him. Oh, that's Maximus. Because he had already had a proven track record that has already mm-hmm. went before him. And I think, like, when we read sometimes in mm-hmm. Acts chapter 6, um, the, the apostles told them, you guys serve and, and feed the people the meals, and we'll devote ourselves to the Pray word. Them, as yeah. Paige was saying, it's kind of like Maximus. People would have trusted Maximus to run the empire because there was already so much blood and fight and tears that he had already placed in. He was worn towards scarred, you know what I mean? Yeah. Processed. It, yeah, he was just, I mean, he yeah. was that. It's my favorite movie. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, we also need to be able to look at things in this day and age like, even my even myself like people should look at your your pastor's track record like yeah. you know what i mean how did i serve when i was a youth leader how was i you know when i was younger how was my wife and i's marriage oh, and all those man. things and i cannot be offended if people look at my track record or when people look at certain things and they're not willing to follow me into like okay mm. this is the vision for this or xyz i can't be offended if my track record doesn't support uh, it right and so i see I see. Yeah. No, go ahead. I th- I feel like that speaks to, to such, many dynamics, but right into what you were saying, like service versus um, leadership. Leadership being placed in authority. Some people are are hungry to be put in leadership, hungry for authority, right. as the example you gave, and not hungry necessarily to serve people, but but to be in a position of prominence and to and to be served, or be seen. But I feel like that God has a way of of breaking down that pride, even to receive from someone who is speaking like the apostle spoke. Say if Pastor J.D. is saying, well, I'm going to do this. I need, I'm delegating. I need you to do this, A, B, and C. There are some who are, whether young in the faith, I don't want to just put it just on a demographic of young people, but who would be like, well, well, why aren't you doing it? Why are you saying that you're doing it? But like he said, there's a track record there of service already. And now it's your season to be in that place of service and to do that. He's already been there and done that. But if you don't have honor for a track record or a resume, like the scripture said, um, the, the rapport, then you'll dishonor those who are trenched already in service, who are now trying to help you in your furthering your service to the body of Christ and, and getting your heart um, connected with the people of God or sinners if you're evangelizing. And, and you can take it and, and be prideful. Well, they're not doing this. This person's not doing this. Why do I have to do this? Why do I? And usually it's the lowly things that, that purify your heart the most. And so in doing those lowly things, God is always working on your heart in a deeper way Mm -hmm. to where if you can do the lowly things well, um, then you will do the the great things or the higher things with excellence Mm. because you appreciate all spaces. That's good. Like Jesus said it this way. He said, if you're faithful over little I will make you a ruler or to reign or have authority over much. Mm -hmm. And so because he trusts you, because you value the little, he knows you're going to value the things that are greater. 
But if you don't find value in the little things, yeah. he knows you won't value the things or the people who are placed under you or even co-laboring with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, you guys have any other last minute thoughts? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. I think that that's good. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rayana. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Ray. you guys. You've done great. <laughs> Paige, what do you feel about praying us out? I feel good. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you for this podcast. We thank you for everyone who will listen. We thank you for this time of fellowship together. We thank you for the wisdom, the revelation. We thank you for the insight that you've given us, for the exhortation, the edification, and the comfort that will come through this. And I pray that your blessing will be upon it and your spirit will breathe on this and that it would touch people and impact their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.